Hi, this is Heidi Howard. And Esteban Cuesta de Baca. And this is, is Life, Life is Collaborative. Collaborative. Today we're here with two fabulous painters, Mark Thomas Gibson and Katie Gagenheimer. And they live in Philadelphia where they both teach at Tyler School of Art. So I was going to do a little introduction of like when I remember meeting you guys which was uh, Gabby Collins Fernandez and Drea Caulfield curated this bomb pop-up show mm-hmm. I think it was the first bomb pop-up show was it the it first? was yeah. it was yeah. so fun in the summertime and I had been helping Mira Dancy move that day in a studio oh. with no air conditioning I think it was like <laughs> A hundred degrees that day or something. I remember being so hot and me feeling so sweaty and freaky. (laughs) Yeah, I was just sitting on the bench with Mark and I think we're both really tired and we're both just sitting there for like a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. And then we finally started talking and it was so nice and... um. You guys had made a bunch of collaborative paintings where one of you would describe um, a painting and the other one would make a drawing from the description. And mm-hmm. yeah. there is this Florine Stettheimer painting that I love so much that I feel like I see her influence in both your work. So I was super excited about that. Oh, thank you. No, that was a really beautiful thing. I really enjoyed doing that with Katie. I we should do that again, actually. That yeah. was really, I enjoyed that a lot. I agree. You agree? <laughs> I would do that again for no. sure. We have a long winter ahead of us. So. No, no I, as you were describing that day, it was kind of hard for me to remember. And then when you kind of talked about the, the oppressive heat of that day, then it kind of started gelling. And it was like everyone was in that place and we we're all we were having a really good time, but it was, it was swampy. It was hot and the backyard oh, was the full of mosquitoes. Oh, yeah, the mosquitoes. Um, I remember that vividly. but no it was really cool to meet you there and I had known about your paintings Heidi well before that I was like a secret admirer of yours so I was really excited to meet you then too and I knew Esther's drawings yeah yeah I remember seeing lines yeah go on sorry no I was just gonna say that I think that's one of the special parts of being in New York that's going to change so much now, maybe. So I've been thinking about it a lot. I just, one of my students was looking at this woman, Christina Camacho's painting. She suggested them to another student in a critique. And I just thought about how um, I went to, we went to school with Christina and she's such a great painter and she had this show in Chelsea. And when you have a show, you never know who sees it and who thinks Mm -hmm. about it for months Mm -hmm. kind of after. And so much of that conversation happens when you kind of end up in a room with people, but then there's like a different kind of community that we can build through teaching and, so I guess one of the first questions I was going to ask you guys is how you think about community building and maybe in relationship to yourselves and your teaching and maybe the pandemic also. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
community as an artist, I think is essential. Um, and I guess I, I was thinking about, you know, um, Mark and I are both in a show together right now um, that Austin Lee curated in New York at Jeffrey Deitch. And I've been thinking about community a lot in relationship to that show because I went to undergrad with Austin at Tyler and then went to grad school with both Mark and Austin. And that's where Mark and I met. Um, but I, I keep thinking about school as this space of like trial by fire and the people that you like survive that with and that bear witness to like your worst moments and your best moments, they can be like your community forever because you've all kind of watched the same thing, but then there's like a trust established, um, which I think can just carry you for like the rest of your life, at least in the best of circumstances. And that's, that was pretty much my experience in, in grad school for the most part, which I was so lucky to have such great people around me. But yeah, I really think about that, like school as like an incubator for community building. And I think about that now with my teaching at Tyler and it's something that for better or for worse, I kind of harp on. Um, Mark and I, during this pandemic, we haven't, we haven't been going out <laughs> much at all. Um, we've been pretty locked down, but uh, a few weeks ago, some seniors at Tyler had a show that they put together themselves off campus in a house and had a timed opening, like socially distant. And it was honestly, <laughs> so thrilling to me to see them be so self-motivated and make this thing happen in like the worst of times um I don't know it was like so heartening and it reminded me of like the best times the things that have happened with my friends like that bomb pop-up show like these kinds of moments where artists make things happen together and I don't know I've just been thinking a lot about that I, I've been thinking about community as a teacher <laughs> But not so much around the students, but I find that like in in many situations that we've had recently, um, and I'm sure many other people can agree with if you're a teacher, um, that, you know, what the school wants and what our society wants to do right now are sometimes in conflict. And um, I was very happy to see and surprised to see which faculty members we're on the side of reason um, as it relates to COVID and our necessity for the school to be closed. And that was kind of cool. You know, it was just like, they're not people who I particularly would have thought um, I would have certain allegiances with. And I think that's almost kind of breeds into like the painting part of it or the art part of it or this outside of school part, because since we don't end up having like events that we go to for each other, like those are the kind of things that almost solidify those relationships I find. Instead, it's kind of like we're finding other things that we care about to, I don't know, form and, and create bonds and create community. Um, I think we're all kind of going through something right now. So whoever you're going to be in contact with or whoever you're in contact with during this experience are going to be the people that you remember ex experiencing this with, you know? Yeah. I... Also wanted to ask Katie about those paintings you made at Deitch Projects, because those are some really amazing big paintings. Maybe you could talk about that. Sure. I would love to. Um, those paintings have been <laughs> years in the making, I would say. 
Um, the stretchers were found by like a magical divine intervention <laughs> when I actually had my studio in Gowanus in Brooklyn. Um, my studio was next to um, like a space that was kind of like a restore with a bunch of used stuff. And I found the stretchers there with my friend Dustin and he helped me carry them up the fire escape to my studio. Um, and I love the archways and I always think about archways and that kind of architecture in my paintings and felt like it was such luck to get them. Um, but then, you know, we ended up moving and we moved to New Haven and when they got there, I couldn't stand them up in my studio. <laughs> and so then we like carried them again to Philadelphia and I was finally able to stand them up again and like work on them. Um, and the paintings, you know, structurally, and I mean structure within the paintings, that seemed essential. It was something that took a really long time to work out for a shaped canvas. Um, but they're called Only Children. Since moving back to Philadelphia, I've reconnected with a friend who I went to undergrad with. And she's an only child and I'm an only child. And I feel like only children have a real understanding of each other <laughs> as like singular beings, but also as like people who really can like rely on each other as independent people. And so I just kind of started that painting thinking about her and that relationship and thinking about like time and like sunset and moonset and um, light shining on different things in different people's lives at different times, um, but moving through it together. So I don't know, I, I like the idea of partnership in a diptych. So that was pretty exciting for me on those paintings. And right now I think about them as kind of like an escape hatch too. <laughs> like I, I could really jump in there right now with how bad things feel. Um, I want them to feel like a calm space too. So especially lacking varied landscape and, and not seeing like the ocean for a summer, which I don't know if I've ever had a year of my life like that. So that's what they're, they're doing for me now. Yeah, I've started, like, as soon as the pandemic started, I kind of went back to really wanting to make things at, like, the scale of our body or in reaction to the space where we were, mm -hmm. where I was, like, changing our living space with the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I like also that idea of, like, a portal, too, and, like, carving out, like, and jumping in time and, like... At least for me, I kind of relate through like portals through like comic books and science fiction and stuff like that. And then mm -hmm. kind of trying to do that through like appropriations of abstract expressionism, mm -hmm. but like through like my own weird uh, things. And I, I wonder if you could talk more about like some of like the the things that kind of get you psyched, like art historical things or whatever for your portals and the the people that you're kind of collaborating with or thinking through that might your art ancestors I mean yeah maybe this would be a good space to talk about your sense of aesthetics together too like mm -hmm. how you guys <laughs> kind of like organize your home and think you influence your each other's sense of aesthetics because you're also sharing a studio right now yeah is that right yes yep. we do which is our first time sharing a studio. Um, maybe like the word, maybe the word is like balance. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that. Yeah, balance is a big key of it. Um, but mm -hmm. balance is always a negotiation. 
I mean, that's how balance has to to work. It never it never seems to ever really become static, and it, um, it's always in flux. And but it's been, I mean, I'm more. I'll say it. I'm, I take over a lot of space, and I'm I'm kind of a mess. So I have to be open or <laughs> open to being open to the suggestion that perhaps I'm wrong a lot, um, which Katie has always been very helpful with. So I um, it, I think it's like working in t- with get together. Sometimes when we're in there together and we're both are just making things, it's kind of a, has a nice hum to it. But then sometimes there's certain paintings that are up and just the color in them, I can't really work. So I have to turn them around. And I don't know if it's because I'm like preoccupied with that color or get preoccupied with like the decision making in that painting. And I want to like address that. Um, that's the kind of thing about like living with each other and also knowing each other for so long. Because in school, we kind of met each other and then you know, what already we're have already we already were having those kind of conversations about like almost immediately, like about like just looking in the things that we like, you know, like caves or seashells or spaces that like can can that can, can form around you. Um, and I think it's just kind of a, a pattern. And I think sometimes it's kind of a bit of a call and response between our work. I mean, most people would never assume. Yeah, for sure. Because the subject matter of the work that there's actually a bit of that. But I see things sometimes pop up in my work or I'm willing to take certain risks because of something or some kind of notion that um, maybe started in one of Katie's paintings. Yeah. Or like even Esto, I think it's really interesting the way you brought up like um, the comic language or like when you said that, I started thinking about, um, Mark, what was that? The Japanese um, like kind of print and painting show that we saw in Boston. Kuniyosha and Kuniyasara. <laughs> yeah, and we saw that show together and I was a printmaker in undergrad. So I used to love looking at those kinds of prints and paintings, but hadn't in a while. And then seeing it with Mark, I started unpacking like segues in those pieces that would like go to other dimensions or that would give foreshadowing to like the next panel or the next possibility in the image. Mm -hmm. And actually when I think about like portals or dividing up space in a painting to give each part of a painting some kind of a story um, or feeling or touch, like sometimes I think about that kind of work, which I don't know if the viewer would see that. Mm -hmm. But that's interesting. And I think that relates back to Mark's work. Like I don't think anyone would ever think of us. having anything in common and like a lot of people that even work with us don't even know that we're married (laughs) like long term like this is kind of like a thing but like but I think that we actually do have such a good reciprocal relationship in just sharing resources or like if Mark has books laying around the studio which he often does like everywhere (laughs) like I look at them and they become they at least like get into my psyche and start to play into my paintings even though they're not my primary sources. Like mm-hmm. I have, like, I know in the studio, I have like a Chagall book, like forever out. And I have like a Stettheimer book and um, like a Mary Heilman book. And Radon is someone who I look at all the time. Um, but then, you know, Mark's books also kind of start to just intersect. Do you think the portal for your paintings are in the painting? Mm-hmm. Because my portals are usually outside of the painting. Oh, mine is in the painting is the portal. Yeah. Because I want to be in like the painting dimension, like 
what would that be the fourth fifth sixth dimension of our world <laughs> like i mm-hmm. want to go through that mm-hmm. forever me me too <laughs> yeah like that's where i want to be <laughs> yeah i think of the portal like i think about it in comic sense so i think about it as the gutter space so i kind of think huh. it's on either side of the painting oh I, mm. I think of it like not like i used to try to think about the window and like that you're moving into the space or you're visiting something but usually i kind of am thinking about what led to that moment or what's going to happen right after it mm-hmm. so yeah so it's like that kind of um like you're, you're either caught in an activity you're caught in a moment but i'm really usually thinking about where how did we get here um mm-hmm. but i think that's because my thing is more figurative narrative though mm-hmm. maybe yeah yeah, I kind of wanted to talk to you about comics really fast too. And, I'll be very uh, quick Mark. about it. <laughs> yeah, or all night. <laughs> no, very yeah. quick. Very quick. Um, like one of our professors, speaking of like bleeds and like you know different panels and stuff like that, mm-hmm. was Keith Mayerson, and he had kind of talked to us about like how certain panels of paintings can kind of create a certain syntax and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I was just thinking about at least with my work of like, yeah, like trying to achieve that portal, but then also like break off into like a multi-dimensional framing of history. But, you know, I got through that point from going to Cooper and undergrad and like coming in, you know, with a really love and passion of illustration and comic books when I was a kid, like I was like such a nerd and like I grew up, you know, going to the San Diego comic con with my two older brothers. So I was just always like looking up with them and going to like geekdom and fandom and in San Diego in the early nineties and like, you know, spawn Rob Liefeld and Stan, Stan Lee and like, you know, all the, all the, you know, early nineties, like right around the death of Superman type of thing. So that was like, but I I guess I'm just kind of, this will be a two part. I'll get to the second part of it. Like how you kind of felt. And I've in other interviews too, you've kind of like talked about like how, um like cooper was with your illustration and stuff like that but i kind of wonder too about like how you kind of teach differently Uh, you know after experiencing that way of teaching yeah on the receiving end like how you kind of almost build a portal of like (laughs) relating these different interests of history um also like colonization and and contemporary politics and comic books and stuff like that i mean Something that comes to mind really quickly, just like the first word that kind of comes to mind is shame. And just kind of either being shamed for having certain loves or, or being interested in certain things. Like I think culturally, I don't know why, I, don't, I feel like I was at a very particular time in history where shame was very um, appropriate to offer to young people <laughs> still. And, um, and just like a few years later after me, then all of a sudden that was like less of an issue, almost by, even by some of the same professors. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think when working with students and kind of, I do a lot more listening to like what it is that they perceive that they're doing as opposed to me trying to tell them what they're doing, which was very Mm -hmm. hard for me to do because that's not how I was taught. And so when it comes to like knowing that I have a love or an interest in something that has been kind of relegated as, um, a lesser thing, I mean, I, I, it's annoying that it's, it's become kind of a popular thing, but also because of like commodification and monetization, but it's already a comic book. So already that was intrinsically a part of its like dispersion. But that aside, it still meant that if you were a person who were interested in this and wanted to dig into it 
and would speak to other people about it, you usually would find yourself with other people who are slightly outcasted because of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think still to that same degree, it's like if you're really, really invested in it, like I have certain students who are very steeped in stuff that I don't know and books that I've not read. But if you're meeting each other on the same common ground of like true nerdom, then you just offer knowledge. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that I try to bring to the classroom is that when I, when, when you find other people who really love what you love, there's no other greater joy than that. So you just experience the joy and the shame in the, the feeling of being other is kind of uh, it lessens. So that's what I think about a lot when I, when I think about teaching a class on comics and knowing that I'm, I'm not a mainstream comic guy, you know, I make, I made a couple, made two books. I'm working on a third. That's it. Like, I'm not that guy. I can't tell you how to break into the industry, but I can talk to you about the fundamentals of something that I enjoy and that I love and then share that with someone else. And like those classes, when that connects, like when it really connects and all the bodies are in there and everyone's kind of just being accepting of each other's way of making and thinking and then are trying to help each other like along based on that. It is, um, it's, it's like, that's the best. Like, I wish every day could be like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's something we talk about with our grad students a lot, too. Um, and we kind of started off by talking about with you guys. Is we were just reading uh, Bell Hooks' theory as practice with our students and just thinking about the ways that we were taught and then how... <laughs> kind of discussing love and teaching with love and um, yeah, coming from that kind of like place is, is where we want to be coming from, mm -hmm. but it feels like yeah. a really new structure to be trying to build within institutions. Yeah. I think I read that maybe three years ago. And um, I remember trying and kind of was using that and then looking at other names of other writers who read, wrote about education to think about how is I going to change my performance as a professor. And it was interesting because there's certain things, there's certain instances that are brought up that make me think about experiences that I went through. And it's actually, um, like, I, I wonder... I, I think I sometimes I keep thinking about like, it might be easier just to have one prescriptive answer for everything as an art teacher <laughs> and just like kind of go in and be like, this is this, that's that bada bing, bada bop. And just like not think about the gray or the off chance, you know, there's no quantum physics in almost an old school art teaching. Mm -hmm. There's like, it's just Newton it's like Newtonian. It's just like very like evidentiary cause and effect kind of conversation. But the way that we are kind of experiencing reality now and we're experiencing teaching now, everything else, we see all this, these other quirky little like nuances that kind of come in and mess things up. And like, can we like be agile enough and fluid enough to respond appropriately to them? Like, that's the thing that I try to like think about. But is it draining? Oh, yeah. And do you feel like you actually like accomplish something? Not immediately, <laughs> but in the long form of it, I think it's actually so much more beneficial than just giving a student a name and telling them to go look at a book and then leaving it at that. 
-hmm. It's like you kind of have to just check in and grow. And then sometimes both of you maybe leave the conversation without actually resolving anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's just like, yeah, I mean, we're asking some big questions. Why should there just be bite-sized answers? Mm -hmm. There's not. Um, And there are questions that are going to change as time goes forward. Certain principles and certain ideas that seem completely irrelevant um, will make themselves completely the only tool and the only conversation in the room eventually. Just, uh, you know, placement. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the kind of the harmfulness of grades or Uh how like that metric of finishing one project and then getting a grade on the project has nothing to do with like the long practice of being an artist or the, you know, the slow exploring in your studio, constantly failing. And Katie, you've been interviewing other artists about teaching, right? Yeah. Yes, I have. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you about the grading of the project and what is a project. Um, You know, I was just sitting here thinking while you were talking about this, about kind of the way I've been teaching my advanced painting class this semester which I think A, is entirely from a place of love <laughs> and like a place of love for like painting, but also like for young artists. And I've actually been thinking a lot about my, um, kind of like one of my primary painting professors when I was an undergrad at Tyler, who was named Frank Bramblett. And I'll never forget one something he said to me, which was, are your paintings the most Katie they can be? And I've been like using that as a mantra this semester where I've been actually asking my students to really have a studio practice and that's their assignment for the whole semester. And then they're having a show and in quotes, whatever that might be, how to present their work at the end and the pressure is on because they only have a month left. And at the end of like a crit that we had last week, I just said, are you being the most you that you can be in your work? And what is that? What sets you apart? and what sets this work apart? And that's the question, you know? Um, because I don't, I don't think anything else is like, I don't think anything is quantifiable other than an ongoing search. Yeah. Um, but, and I, you know, I've been interviewing other artists um, who are teachers who are all practicing painters um, in varied generations um, of teaching and painting. And, you know, I started doing that because I am genuinely curious about how it's done, too. Um, as a painter, I, you're, I got my MFA, but I'm still, like, a greenish teacher. Like, I, you know, I haven't been teaching for years and years. So I want to know all the different ways that people have done it and all the different ways that people have learned. And I'm just, like, genuinely curious about that. And I feel like now we're kind of at, like, this weird precipice in terms of Zoom teaching, <laughs> and what that means um and for the folks that are still teaching now who have taught forever you know that's a great question to pick their brains about how they're doing it Mm. so that's that's kind of where i've been with all of this i think also as a feminist like and as somebody who like sees so many (laughs) holes in the system and problems with art history that i know you guys are both Um, invested in um, I started asking some of the grad students in midterm critiques a lot of the women like 
what brings them pleasure and joy? Because I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes that's not, I guess, Mark, you were talking about this too with comics. Sometimes that's not what the institution Mm-mm. is teaching you. And no. Um, well, it, sorry, this was for you. No, I mean, I, it was for both I think of that's, you. A, that's such a good question. Like, I got asked in grad school. I had a I I had some work up in a crit and someone said to me what is desire (laughs) but I think he literally meant what is desire like he didn't know (laughs) like I seriously felt that way after the whole interaction and I guess like I come from a place where all of the work should be out of like desire pleasure pleasure joy I mean that's what's been making it really hard for me to like make work right now whereas I think Mark has been on more of a tear of making work. Well, because I think I, I arrive at joy. Like I arrive at the pleasure. I go, I, it's like, I don't, it doesn't start there, <laughs> but like the act of doing it usually is what I'm hunting for. Mm. But I actually, to the point of what you were saying, um, Heidi, and talking with students and asking them that question, I, I, I was, I was thinking, um, it kind of just came up in my brain, popped in. I started thinking, why do we have to spend so much time trying to deprogram them? Like, we, it seems like we have to spend so much time getting them just to care about themselves, mm-hmm. about taking a risk, about having mm-hmm. fun, about, like, when is the last time I ever had to rein a student in? Like, I've never. Never. Like, it's like I never have to rein them in. Then, if anything, I feel like some, I don't know, it's like I feel like some bad stand-up sometimes because I'm yes. trying to, like, show them, like, how you can be weird or how you can try, but it's like, but but also is that performativity or what I'm asking for is that false you know is that just some kind of like um trope, but I just feel like they just they're so well trained in that, that. I remember having to say to my grad students recently like you know you're not getting a grade really for this right or make them try to understand like th- th- that it's hard. A, one part of it is because they're paying for something and that's like you mm-hmm. want to see an actual result and numbers and little letters next to their name offer that. But B, you're dealing with people who've gone through generally a K through 12 education system that has all been about like a really dry, rudimentary, not um, open system. So all of a sudden you offer them an open system and most of them just don't know how to like use it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that with like Zoom teaching and especially now that we're in Tennessee, like we've never lived in like the South before Mm -hmm. and especially right before the election and stuff like that. And like trying to get our students that come from uh, a very different background to -hmm. think about like the history of colonization locally here through Mm -hmm. like, you know, the way we (laughs) teach. But then also like what but then exactly like what you're saying, Mark, about like getting them to like freak of gout more you know yeah but like is that is that also like are we trained to do that and as like artists but then it's also like we know when we see it that act of revelation in a real piece of art we we you know we're so studied and we know like good art and we can see you know even in our young students that potential to really Mm -hmm. have like a self-revelatory thing through materials and stuff like that and then I also question you know like also is the system kind of built so then these moments can be safely created and contained in an art school Mm. and how we can kind of 
let those like small creative political acts like reverberate outside of the institution and stuff like that. And yeah. also within our own art practice too. So uh, there's not really a question in there, but it's more like, yeah, like I, I feel you about like trying to get these students to like activate themselves and to just either geek out or like freak out more, you know? Well, well, well I used to have this feeling that I never like going way back to even when I was doing um, admin I was kind of doing an admin job at Cooper right after school and I would do um, doing admissions and I would sit there and tell all the professors that like, I don't think we should accept anyone directly out of undergrad. I think everyone should have at least two years out of school that mm -hmm. they can actually experience some life and then come back and actually have some experiences other so that we don't spend the first year of school trying to understand what is college. And, um, you know, and I just think that there's some kind of, it's just so, it's like, one thing I, I, kind of, I keep, I've been thinking about a lot lately is how often in school we teach students, we offer them like uh, counterculture narratives, counterculture writing, counterculture, everything else. And then what they t do with that information is that they just like rebel against the school, you know, and it's just like, aim a little higher, you know, like, it just <laughs> seems like, because it it's almost that the school is designed to buttress that, mm -hmm. to take that on, you know, because of the, the temporal relationship that a student has with inside mm -hmm. of an institution, they're only going to be there for two years of grad, four years of undergrad, maybe five or six, if they're like how they decide to matriculate. Um, so it's like, it's so weird to me because I've seen it where schools do a good job of allowing the students to kind of punch at it and then teach them to then punch outside of the space. But in generally now it just seems like students ask for things and basically are just looking for perks. And then, you know, once they get a perk or two, that's the end of it. And, um, or, 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 and maybe it's where it should end, but it just doesn't seem like the bigger questions of space outside of this space, like what you're really going to deal with for the next 20, 30 years. Like that needs to be interrogated. That needs to be played with more. Yeah, that's just something I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting people to take the leap is like, I think maybe the hardest part too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I applaud my students when they like fail miserably. Me too. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like I literally applaud it's because exciting. I get so excited yeah. at like how miserably they've failed mm. yeah. <laughs> as like a possible and that they had the like guts to show it and mm. i don't know i just i think about that all the time and failure in general as something to truly be celebrated <laughs> that, but that's the nurturing part you know like when you when you nurture failure <laughs> in a good way you know well because you can take a risk yeah you 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 you, you give them a, a bit of a safety net you know just a little bit of a safety net that that agrees with the the attempt and acknowledges the failure and then the greatest conversations can happen it's also like high contrast like in my classes i'm always like things are great things are terrible but man everyone in the middle like actually failed in a bad way <laughs> like anyone who gets no reaction it's just silence i'm like come on at least yeah. make something polarizing <laughs> <laughs> What are you guys reading right now? I'm reading Amy Silman's new book, Faux Pas. Um, it just came out uh, in you know conjunction with her show at Gladstone. 
excellent show. Cool. Yeah, which is like an amazing, amazing show, which has stuck with me for weeks since we were lucky enough to go see it. Um, and the book is just like fantastic. And it's a collection of her writings, but it also has like images she's been making in quarantine that she was like making on her phone um, that are just like so hilarious and sad and incredible um, and writing by others as well. But I just love reading anything that painters and artists write. Mm. So um, I've been picking up and putting down Afro pessimism. Um, it's an older text, but just saying if it's not something I can ever like really like latch onto for too long and hold on to. Um, but that's just me and reading in general. I tend to like pick things up and put them back down. There's also this biography that recently came out about Frederick Douglass, which is very interesting um, that I've been kind of going through slowly. So yeah, I'm trying to think what else I might be perusing. It's, it's like, it all kind of is a big mud pile in my brain. It just kind of gets like slowly goes in and then, um, yeah. We just got that big catalog for the Jacob Lawrence show. Yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> beautiful. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wanted to buy like a good catalog from the Strand right now to support yes. them too. So I got to maybe look at some of these catalogs and think about buying them through the Strand. Yeah, yes. totally do it with the Jacob Lawrence one. It's definitely worth it. Um, but yeah, the Strand, please support the Strand. And <laughs> we are, we actually have a, lo- a list going right now um, before we click the the button um mm-hmm. but we need to do that asap yeah yeah it's also been fun to experiment with our students about like different readings that like we're gonna do like uh gloria anzel duo with our students this next week we kind of pushed it because of the election and stuff like that so it's it's nice to experiment on students also with texts that you use as almost like your your go-to and see mm-hmm. what they think from a different point of view Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't, I can't do it almost. Like the things that I truly love, I almost, um, I guess I, yeah, I just never thought about it until you said that. I, I guess I don't really offer them that stuff. <laughs> I know, no, I know, me neither actually, but I just feel like in this situation, being in Tennessee at where they probably uh, won't really have that much access to uh-huh. thinkers like this, like why not? But yeah, I'm totally like a clutch type of like, this is my thing and yeah well no but i can it's interesting to think that there's a certain situation that occurs where you're like i gotta go to that i gotta go to my clutch or i have to go to the thing that's underneath it like Mm -hmm. i have to show them the deeper well of like where my some of my influences come from and Mm -hmm. maybe it lands maybe it doesn't maybe it connects yeah it doesn't yeah but it's interesting (laughs) i get I, i guess i reason why i don't do it is i think i used to do it and i stopped because it was a little too much. Yeah. Yeah, like my. I understand. I'm 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 pretty. Uh, I'm pretty soft. I'm like a I'm like one of those creatures that have a hard shell on the top and then like a soft <laughs> underbelly. Like that's me. <laughs> I I was thinking when you were saying that I was actually like, what is my go-to? And then I was thinking about um, the Elizabeth Murray Art Twenty One, and for some reason, whenever I watch that, I like just weep. <laughs> you're right i like weep when, I watch, when I watch that but then i like 
I don't even know if I can bring it to them because I'm like, don't you get it? Well, you know, I showed my painters. Um, I showed my painters last year. I showed them the the Elizabeth Murray that oh. that that maybe, but it was a PBS thing. It wasn't an Art Twenty One, but uh, it was a PBS uh-huh. documentary about her life and kind oh, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the last thing they show her like last painting that she made like in the studio after uh-huh. she died. And I was talking to my students, and I started to cry. <laughs> Like I started to choke up uh-huh. because I just started feeling the um I don't know how to express it, but the when people make and people are people are being creative and people are trying and people are in love with what they're uh-huh. doing and then you're witnessing it and like it's it's the physical body response to sometimes like when you're watching someone else's hand and, and moving a piece of work and you can feel that hand or something and you can kind of get lost with them. I don't know, and I just, I just was just consumed by it. And then I was also, I think, thinking about certain people who were in that documentary that I was watching, and knowing them, and thinking about their mortality as well. And I think it was just mm-hmm. too much. The other, the other thing that I think of that I have my students, I had them all purchase, and I wanted them. I didn't want to assign readings because I feel like there's a certain level of being overwhelmed right now that I'm like pretty conscious of. But instead, I wanted them to keep in their studio for when they were, like, stuck was um, Jack Whitten's Notes from the Woodshed, which for me is, like, another, like, heart-wrenching. Like, I love it, but it, like, crushes me in a way um, because of how, I mean, it's, like, literally a diary of an artist of their whole life, like, pushing to make the work. And um, that book just, like, blows my mind and I hope that it blows theirs if not like this year when they have it in the studio maybe as they get older they'll start to understand like the journey yeah the book is a gift because there's certain things that, that he brings <laughs> up about seeing the art world or seeing his, his place in the world stuff that I've like sat around and I've argued with and ruminated about and, and you know argue with my friends about spent my 20s thinking about you know decade of my life and to see that, like, he's right when he's writing or what he might be stating about his own experience is being written in 1965. <laughs> and then it makes me realize, like, oh, maybe that's a condition or that's a constant one. Maybe those are one of those constant factors or one of those strands that um, are mm, ever present, but not necessarily. Um, it doesn't really matter to you. Like it, like it, it made me free mm-hmm. because it made me kind of think like, Oh, that's always the way it is. Oh, that's always the way it is. So it's not my job to try to change it. I can just do what I do instead. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> like that, that's, that needed that. Like I really needed it. Like when Katie saw this one passage and she just said, right, read this. And I just read it and I felt such a weight to come off of me. And it was just like, Oh my God. I'm not insane. Okay, that's great. They, they, people prefer this type of painting over this type of painting. I'm not insane. Okay. But then you got to reconcile and figure out what you're going to do with that. And that. But at least you can go forward, you know? Yeah, the style that he wrote that in, like being like a former, he was like in the Marines or in the, in the Air Force, yeah. but just the style of just like writing it all down. I was like, so, it was so awesome and inspiring. I feel like there are some artists when you like look at their stuff, it makes you want to go make stuff. Yeah. And he's like one of those guys yeah. from like thinking, 
in like those journals about you know trying to trap shapes in space Mm -hmm. and like almost how he was like a prelude to Gerhard Richter's swipes and stuff like that like and just thinking photographically and like moving it's just he's a phenomenal writer but then also the sculptures I think to me the hidden gems of his stuff are the sculptures those are the bomb that show it what was it the the Breuer oh my god those sculptures well yeah the portraits and like that too it was just like it was like, oh, you, no one even, you guys even begin to understand me. It was like, it was kind of like, <laughs> it, it was just like a knockout. And you just, and then it was like, you know, I remember hearing from um, older artists who were friends of his, who felt like that it was kind of overhung, you know, or that it could have been, it should have been more than one floor, you know. So things had a little bit more time to have their moment, you know, to, to really contemplate them. Because a lot of those things, sadly, we probably will never see again in, in, in their relationship with each other. Because so many people just came and probably bought them all up or, you know, they didn't go into a museum, you know, um, maybe hopefully some of them did, but seeing them together and just kind of being like, is one of those few moments that you have, um, maybe also kind of going back to Heidi's original point or question is where you're, you're meeting other people inside of a space and the art is so good that you, you, you know, like all the other New Yorker crap, like all the New York kind of like, who are you? What are you? What do you do? goes completely away and you just look at each other and go like that's incredible like that's incredible well i think that that's like also like if we're talking about you and i Uh like i feel like that's like our favorite thing yeah like to do together like because our art obvi isn't mostly collaborative no but like seeing art and talking about it is like our favorite thing like to a fault like i feel like we can't help ourselves but go look at art all the time so yeah. we like never do anything other than that but it's just like it, it, it's like that's a good life i mean oh it's great I it's like, great i mean yeah i find that it, it rejuvenates our relationship i think it's like mm-hmm. a it's like a palate cleanser it, like it it almost like whatever part of the brain it seems to kick off it it is just so it just it balances everything out like, I always feel, like, so much closer to you mm-hmm. after going to see art. Plus, it's, like, a collective shared memory mm. that, like, we can always be, like, oh, my God, do you remember yeah. that Jack Whitten show? <laughs> you know, yeah, you go, you see a good show, you eat something, you know, like, that kind of thing, I, I really miss. Um, like, we, we went to New York a couple weekends ago. And kind of felt that a bit, mm-hmm. you know, got some of that was necessary. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, that's our, that's, I think that's where we fell in love was because of the art. Honestly. Yeah. You know, just having someone, you know, you walk around like the art museum together and you start talking to th- each other and you disagree with each other about things. And for some reason, that person, whatever they disagreed with you about, you can't stop thinking about why they disagreed with you about that. Uh-huh. And then mm-hmm. you process it, and then you learn something, and then you got to, but you want more. Um, and I'm very lucky as a person to be married to somebody who, I mean, in stuck in like in COVID, <laughs> you know, together and like can constantly look at or think about another artwork or think about like, do you remember the show? Or like, the, I mean, it's just art for us is like, um, just so much joy it's our love language 
Yeah, I mean, it was funny going to like an art show of my students' stuff here for the first time. When you guys were talking about that, it reminded me of like going to see art for the first time, even in like a little mm-hmm. Knoxville, yeah. Tennessee oh, yeah. gallery. I like got a yes. rush, like a like a drug yes. addict that you know had. I went sober for a while, and then I kicked the habit, and then I went back. I relapsed into art, and it was great. You know, it was really that community and conversations like you guys like over over great painting. It is sort of like a clut palette cleanser and like helps clean off your perception like the dust off your perception to see you know what life is all about and it's about like your family and truth Mm and i don't know just about also freedom too well there's nothing better than like talking with somebody and you kind of maybe get past the point of all the the simple pleasantries and then you start to realize oh they like to actually look at things and then you'll say to them like did you ever see that show at the met with the tapestries and they're like, yeah. And then you like, just go into it. And then you start deep diving into things. And, you know, and it's just like, that's like, and there's, there's just like, and think about it. It's like, it's an imagination. It's an imaginary space that maybe you didn't even, you weren't standing next to the person. Mm. Or it's like, if you talk about going mm-hmm. to see like, for me, like the rap of the Medusa, like, holy crap, you know, and like saying to someone like, you saw that, right? Did you get close to it? Did you really get close to it? And, um, but when you're a partner, and you're like together and you're having those experiences, it's sort of, it's like, it's a, such a lucky thing to be able to have someone next to you. And you're like, do you remember that towel R show? Remember the way that the light hitting the wall? Yeah. And like, was it the light in the room or was it actually the painting doing that? Like, I'm still not sure. Like, I need to see that painting again. Or, like, you just remind me of us seeing Louise Bourgeois holograms. Oh, yeah. Which I feel like I could never, like, no one, like, <laughs> and read. it's like you had to be present. And I'm like, oh, you remember these holograms? Yeah, that those was are so weird. insane. <laughs> those are weird. Have you ever seen those? Have you guys ever seen those holograms? No, oh, no, no, that I, sounds sick, though. I'm going to Google craziest, that. the weirdest thing I've, I, I think maybe they I've ever in seen in the 90, gallery. They were made in the late 90s. Um, and so, you know, she <laughs> She was a certain point in her life, and there was this company, I guess, that was in Soho, at least if I'm kind of remembering correctly, that had holographic technology. And for some reason, they went to <laughs> Louise Bourgeois and asked and asked her if she would want to do this. And so they made these like these dents. Like it's not like um, it's hologram. It's so effective as a hologram because it's actually thick and it's dense, like material that's being used mm. to create the effect. And it's just like it was boggling the amount of like where you can move around the thing in the image and like see around it. It was like, what is this? And, but it was those moments. And then you just like look at each other and smile. Like, what is this? <laughs> um, I love that. Like that, that glee, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think she's such a crazy, important mm-hmm. artist, like her work with sewing too. I have so many students who are mm-hmm. into sewing right mm-hmm. now. But then also she made all these installations and she like reached so deeply into psychology Mm. too. It was weird when you guys mentioned Elizabeth Murray because I also, I did a presentation for my students this week on people working on non-rectangular surfaces. And at some point I was like, whoa, Elizabeth Murray's not in here. She should be in here. And then... Then I thought, I feel like I would start to cry if people didn't get this work yeah. right now and I can't do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 
but maybe I've, I'm thinking about like the the experience. <laughs> like I think when I went to grad school, by the time I got to grad school, and after living in New York and kind of just been working and not, you know, really enjoying art, just kind of like yeah, another show. Oh, there's this thing. Um, like grad school for me helped re- reawaken or kind mm-hmm. of like wipe clean the third eye or something and like I could see again mm-hmm. and I could see clearly or clearer but then I think I because of the way I had been trained in art school with a bit of a mechanical heart that I needed to be shown how to um be vulnerable in front of an image to allow it to work on me and so that I, and so that I could like accept it because I think maybe I just had a fear of it working on me maybe mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had that when Heidi first met me after Cooper. I was just, you know, two years out. And we when we first met, she was my first friend at uh, grad school. I just had my my armor yeah. on, mask on, full on, like, let's do this, you know. And every, everybody in my year at Columbia was so sweet and so nice. And, like, I remember, <laughs> you know, we – Yeah, and then, and then I, like, took off my armor. And it was just, like, a really – I was really blessed to, you know, after being in like, you know, all that stuff, the intensity of undergrad to go into Columbia was like good. But I remember also like going to see to the Barnes collection. You guys are Mm -hmm. in Philly, too. And seeing uh, like that Matisse painting that he did in Morocco, Mm -hmm. like those those paintings are like, you know, they have like their problems and Orientalism and stuff like that. But it's like also just like. Oh, I feel like those experiences are things that I miss. And if there are things that you guys, if there was like a painting that you guys wish you had mm. at your home right mm. now that would keep you guys going, that would be one of mine. I oh think, my maybe. gosh, that's so cool. What a good pick. That's a very good pick. That's like a really tough question. What would I like love to live with? I live with one of my favorite paintings. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? You, you can go first. Wait. <laughs> what? What's your favorite painting? Dustin's little painting. Oh, Dustin. Dustin Metz. Yeah, go ahead. He gave us this painting as a gift, as a wedding gift. I mean, it's 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 weird. Okay, we got some, we have some paintings in here, and I have a lot of good friends, and we have a lot of good paintings in here. So it's not it's not a knock against anybody <laughs> when I say this painting is like one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's just it's painted so well. And it's not to say that any of the paintings aren't painted well. They're painted, all of them are painted very well. There's just <laughs> something about somebody, this, for the style of painting that it is, I feel like he got lost and still was able to pull out something so simple and sophisticated that the painting works for me along color line, along touch, along surface. It, it just works on like all of these, these, these practical ways. And then on top of it, I think it actually has some substance there. And um, every time I look at it, I just enjoy looking at it. And it may change over time, but I just like looking. I mean, I told him this. And, but there's another painting in here um, that is also my, was my favorite painting until I got that painting. So it might be tied. So. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, you know what I was thinking, what I like, after thinking about this for a while, what I was thinking about was um, 
so many paintings actually in Joan Snyder's repertoire. Oh, I worked yeah. for Joan years ago mm. and we got to see so her good. show, The Summer Becomes a Room at Canada. And that show just felt so present and like so much air. It felt almost like a summer in upstate New York or something. Like it felt like freedom, mm. but it felt like humanity in a way that I've really been missing mm. um, with all of the evil in the world right now. Um, and so I've just been sitting here yeah. thinking about her paintings and I was like, oh, which one? She, she had this painting um, called Black Pond that I think about like probably once a week. And that's one of my all time favorite Joan Snyder paintings. Um, but there's something about her work and her touch and her character. And um, I don't know, her painting chops that like gets me every time. And I, whenever I see her paintings, I want to get back to the studio and paint. And that's the kind of painting I want to live with. That's a good painting. I mean, I think it's, I think with her painting, <laughs> with those paintings, like, especially what you said about um, the experience of being somewhere in the summer. Yeah. Like, um, the experiential see like that's like that's the difference between our paintings mm -hmm. like that's something between katie and i or that are it would say she showed me how to see is like that type looking at a painting i'm thinking about the experience of making a painting in a place in time and like the joy of that place in time and how that might influence the actual painting and the way it's made like i had none of that yeah, Mark taught Mark taught me that like a painting has to communicate to any other human in the room, which was something like I was just in complete denial about because I love just the act of painting and I didn't really like care. I didn't really even know how to get to the other person. It was a deep desire. I mean, my paintings are all like love paintings, but that's more in the making, I think, sometimes. Um, and I've, I've learned, and I'm still learning, like, how to communicate. Mm. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's about <laughs> where you start and where I end. Mm -hmm. Where did this, is this still on? Okay, sorry. I was just double checking. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I was just. And I was like, I was like, oh, no, we've just been talking. <laughs> <laughs> No, Esther was like pointing at me to to tell you my what painting that? that I. Or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> we had this conversation the other day with uh, Josh Bianco and mm. Rubens, the mm -hmm. two other professors at UTK. Um, and I'm gonna stand by my Ooh, choice, so which <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like you guys. I don't know. Had better more realistic choices in Realism some ways doesn't matter in, in, in all the ways no. <laughs> yeah so my painting is Botticelli's Primavera which wow. I'm obsessed with right now I mean I've been obsessed yeah. with it for years but I've been going back to that place a lot and I think um what you guys were saying about like learning how to see I really learned how to see and make paintings mm. looking at that painting so it's it's like it has like a really high place in my heart even though I usually have a hard time categorizing uh -huh. things that's an awesome pick you should stand by that yeah get that painting <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah I guess I chose I see also I think I chose along the lines of like what I could look live with uh-huh and I, I mean, and I think it's like, 
I think a lot about, I've been thinking a lot about this since we've been stuck at home, about like paintings that I love and paintings that I can live with. Mm. And it's like, there's some paintings I love that I'm like, that thing would be depressing to live with. Like mm. the deluge or the wrath of the Medusa, oh something like that. Like I like, I like dark, dark mm. painting. Not approved for our house. And, and <laughs> Me I'm too. Like, yeah. And I but, would sit there yeah. all day just kind of like, oh, look at that. No, like the giant wave is washing everyone away. No, it's something dark, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I couldn't live with it. I don't know if I could live with it. What's your painting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think. Well, there was like some other ones though too. I was thinking of Joan Mitchell mm. or Hilma oh, Klimt yeah. or like a or like a Goya, like yes. the the black magic paintings that he oh. did at the Prado. Those are like yeah. I love right. those. Goyas are really great. Oh, gosh. Um, anyway, thank yeah, you, thank guys. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I have yeah. one quick pro- ahead, yeah. question. Okay. What, what, like, in a quick, fast take type of way, What? so what's, like, your ultimate goal, or where do you guys see yourself going in the future with your paintings, or, I don't know, You can, it's an open-ended question. It's no, not yeah, something, sure. like, so specific, but just... You know, I think it's also kind of good to, to kind of distract ourselves right now with where we want to go and keeping like a hopeful attitude of things just to keep keep chugging along. And freedom. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh look at you jumping on freedom, grabbing freedom out of my Well, head. I just want to paint all the time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. If I could just paint all the time, that'd be fantastic. But I think for me as an actual like painting choice, I, I think I'm... I think I'm on this verge of something that I, I'm not exactly sure what the form of it is. I don't know. That's the thing. I'm at a weird place in painting where I I see, I know that there's something that's going to happen and it's going to show itself to me. Mm-hmm. Like I almost got no choice over it right now. I don't think I have any hand on it. I think it's just going to do it now. That's a weird one, but I think that's what's happening. When do you think it's going to do it? Tomorrow. No. Um. Ooh, if you could will that, okay, I believe in making <laughs> no, it. No, God, no. Please will not. it? No, I, I think it's going to happen. Um, I think there's going to be a one big pitfall beforehand. I'm going to make a bunch uh. of really bad ones, and then I think it's going to happen. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying January. It, it hits. I'll show it to you. I'll say. I can't wait. I know. I better start getting to it because I need to get through the bad stuff real quick. Well, thank you guys so much. It was really, you guys made our um, day I much better. I also feel exactly the same way. My day is 100% better after talking to you guys. Yeah, I'm re energized. Thank you so much for this. This was fantastic. Yeah. See you soon then. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Bye. bye. All right. You guys take care. Bye.